Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Notes from the Ivy League. I hope you had a phenomenal week. Um, I'm your host, Andrew Williams, and I'm here with Carly Wilson, a Yale grad who studied philosophy, broke records as a track athlete, and now she's a community organizer and investigator for the Fair Housing Rights Center in southeastern Pennsylvania. Carly, thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Of course. So I started every show with asking my, my guests to share their personal story. Do you mind sharing yours? Okay, cool. So I grew up in a very small town in southern Louisiana. Very country, very small. Like, basically, my family still lived on the farmland that our ancestors were slaves on. So my great-great-great-grandparents actually purchased the land that they used to work on. And now the road that it that it's along is called Robert Wilson Road, which is my grandfather's name. And that was his grandfather's name. So um, it's called Robert Wilson Road. And I always, you know, knew that that was our land. Um, it's not clear, you know, whether or not some of our ancestors were Native American and what tribe they were from. But we have pictures of them wearing indigenous uh, regalia. So we don't really have the language to know what that meant. But that's where I come from. And... I went to middle school there. I, you know, my childhood was like very fun, you know, growing up in a small town, you know, riding bikes and just being really friendly with our neighbors and having a big backyard and all of that stuff. Um, but um, my dad was not very happy because the majority of his income was going towards our mortgage. I would say like 90% of his income was going to our monthly mortgage. And while it was awesome for us as kids, cause we had this huge house and like this huge backyard just a, and a, like a basketball court. Like we, we had friends over all the time, you know, mm -hmm. it was, it was awesome. But for him, it was like stressful because um, he couldn't save money, you know, for emergencies. He couldn't really have money to do anything himself. So eventually he went to California to pursue his music career. Mm -hmm. um, he was a very talented artist, uh, musician, and it kind of runs in his family. Um, everyone on his side of the family does music. And until this day, you know, they do music and he's now in California doing, you know, doing really well for himself after a long, I think it's almost been 10 years now that since he left. So um, when he left, things kind of, started to change for me um, and eventually I actually moved to California to be with him so when I was 15 my brother and I moved to California and we enrolled in high school there and he wanted us to go to the best high school so we went to public school in Newport Beach California um, Newport Beach if you haven't heard of it is a very affluent city mm -hmm. in, in Orange County California and so it was a public school, but all of the kids' parents were so rich that you would have thought it was a private school with the way that it functioned. Like there was no school uniform, everyone wore whatever they wanted and people tended to wear very expensive outfits. And that was stressful for me because I was still wearing the same clothes that I had from like sixth grade. And then all the kids drove really expensive cars that was also stressful. Um, 
eventually my mom did give me her car it was like a white toyota which was it was a good car but like when your classmates are driving mercedes and bmws and lexus it's just kind of like intimidating um at the same time everyone was very smart and like they understood what a good education could do for their lives so they tried very hard at school um thankfully i was like one of the brightest kids at the school so i kept up in that way and that's kind of how i socially fit in it was very nice to be in an environment where it was cool to be intellectual because mm-hmm. i was not used to that um in louisiana however um I think that my smart, my intelligence was downplayed very often. And although like I was keeping up with everyone, people didn't like, they didn't recognize that I was still an outlier Mm -hmm. when it came to my intelligence. So like, you know, I was able to take all the AP classes that everyone was taking, but they didn't recognize that like I came from a place where no one was taking these classes and um, where people didn't have access to the information that they had. Um, So when I actually was accepted into Yale, everyone kind of had a reaction to that. Like people just acted like I didn't deserve it. You know, Mm -hmm. it was, um, it was a thing where it was like, oh, you just got in because you're an athlete. And then the fact that I was still applying to other schools other than Yale made people upset because they felt like I was taking their spot at other schools. So I, I applied to University of Washington, um, Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, like just a, a lot of other good schools that everyone else was applying to. But they were, you know, asking me to stop because they were like, you're going to take away my spot. And I was like, okay, how on one hand am I actually not smart enough to go to Yale? But on the other, you're worried that I'm going to take away your spot at a state school. But at the end of the day, it came down to the fact that they felt that I was just getting in because of affirmative action. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did my best to just like stay positive through all of that, but it was definitely a lesson that, you know, white students really feel privileged. And even though they didn't work nearly as hard as I did athletically or academically, they still felt entitled to everything that I earned. Mm-hmm. So when I actually started at Yale, um, when people would ask me where I was from, I would say Newport Beach, California, because that's, you know, where I was coming from. Um, and a lot of students actually assumed that because I was from Newport Beach that I was rich. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I feel like to this day, I feel like I got off on the wrong foot um, because I never, I didn't get, I didn't associate myself with the students at Yale who were first generation. My first year at Yale, I was surrounded by rich kids and kids that, you know, assume things about me because of where I was coming from that didn't actually understand my story. I didn't even really realize that I was a first generation student until my senior year, because I, I never actually heard those words, first generation student. And then when I did hear it, I, for some reason, thought that it was aligned with being a first generation American, mm-hmm. like being, you know, the child of immigrants. So I didn't put two and two together until I was like about to graduate. And I feel like I missed out on that opportunity to connect with other students who were first gen. And I feel like that label w- really would have helped me to understand my experience at Yale mm-hmm. as a first gen student. Um, part of the reason I didn't realize I was first gen was because my mom was always very vague about her education mm-hmm. growing up. 
uh, she did tell us that she went to college, but I didn't realize that she she had an associate's degree. She didn't she didn't have a bachelor's. And my dad started college, but he dropped out um, because he was making more money, you know, by playing in the clubs as a musician. So he felt like he didn't need an education. Um, so growing up, I always just assumed that everyone in my family went to college. I didn't actually know what it meant to finish college. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time I realized what it meant to be first gen and how important that was, I was already graduating. I already had such an adverse experience at Yale. Um, I was on the track team. And I think my track teammates also assumed that I was rich for the first year. Yeah. And it took a while for people to start realizing that I was not living the same experience as them. Um, I just had a very hard time adjusting my entire four years. So by my senior year, I actually quit track because I just couldn't take it anymore. Like pretending and um, just feeling like I wasn't understood. I still don't really even know how to verbalize what I went through as a track athlete there, but I had a very successful career as an athlete. I broke records my freshman year through my junior year. And I was always just setting a high standard for myself. And at a certain point, I realized that I was setting a higher standard for myself than my teammates were. Mm -hmm. So I was working harder than people and they resented me for that. So on one hand, you know, at the track meets, people would cheer me on and tell me good job. But then at practice, I was treated like an annoyance for working so hard. Mm -hmm. So my socialization on the team was very difficult and my my freshman year i thought that the best way to make friends with everyone was by partying a lot so i kind of i definitely partied too much my freshman year Mm -hmm. and um i didn't really make any lasting relationships on my team um and i got myself into questionable situations because of that because of the partying so by like my senior year i was just so done with all of it um i kind of became a grandma (laughs) i would (laughs) Instead of going out to party, I would like stay home and cook. And then I would invite everyone over to my, I was living in a house off campus. I would invite everyone over to my house to eat while they were drunk. And then, so they could go to bed on a full stomach. (laughs) And part of that was just me trying to feel at home again. I I was um, learning the traditional recipes of Creole food, Mm -hmm. which is the, the food from Louisiana. So and learning those recipes, I wanted everyone to enjoy the food. So I would invite everyone over. I was like, come by at 2 a.m., you know, after the party's over. And sometimes I would have up to 20 people at my house eating. And it was really a beautiful thing. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, and I think that's what really made me feel whole again after the whole first three years of being a, an undergrad at Yale. Because it was really just so shocking. It was a culture shock. And I think that um, by not doing the program's uh, cultural connections um, and by not being a part of the African-American Cultural Center, I, I didn't allow myself to grow in a way that I would have if I understood that I was a first-gen student, that I was a minority, and that I really needed to surround myself with other students like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my story. Okay. Um... Thank you. And earlier you mentioned something that I think is pretty important in that like your zip code doesn't always equal your tax bracket. And a lot of people can kind of get confused 
by that. How did it feel when you first realized you were first, when, when you were first gen? Can you go deeper into that? Um, when I realized I was first gen, it was a relief. Because mm -hmm. I was like, well, that explains my confusion and like the fact that I've been so lost all this time because I was feeling like there was something wrong with me. Like, how come I'm not understanding like the dynamics of what's going on? How come like my social life is just really struggling? Mm -hmm. And why do I feel like I'm, I'm hiding parts about me that like I shouldn't have to hide? You know, why do I, why is it that people are making assumptions about me and I don't have the language to help like help them understand that they have the wrong picture of who I am so when I realized what it meant to be a first-gen student it was just a relief because I'm like oh my gosh I'm first-gen yeah <laughs> like a lot of other students are going through this um but I was also kind of jealous because I was like okay all these other first-gen students like they have each other and they've probably been like talking about this with each other all this time and getting through it together and here I've been over here all alone I mean, my sophomore year, I was sleeping 12 hours a day. I was 10 to 12 hours a day because I was just so exhausted by everything. Um, mm -hmm. So I just, I feel like, you know, if I had my whole experience been um, around other students like me, I would have just fared a lot better. So, and another thing you, you mentioned earlier is that in high school and also in college, you experienced some negativity. How do you deal with that? Oh my gosh. So I kind of saw that as like a learning, a learning moment. Um, I wanted to know what they thought I did. Um, because for me, it's like all this whole, you know, all these years I've been watching you roll up in your Mercedes, you know, mm -hmm. every day at lunch, you drive off to Starbucks and I'm just sitting here eating the school lunch with the, with the, uh, with the other colored kids you know like the five other colored kids in the school mm -hmm. we all sit here in the cafeteria and eat lunch while you drive off in your mercedes and your lexus and and get taco bell and starbucks so it's like at that point you know i didn't i knew that we were different and i didn't really care um if they were mad because i've been mad you know it's kind of mm -hmm. like that's the launch song like mad like why are you always mad well, I have a lot, you know, I've got a lot to be mad about. I have a lot to be mad about. You have all these um, advantages over me to not only, you know, academically, but just for pure happiness, you know, and you rub it in my face every day. So now I got my acceptance letter from Yale and I'm going to let you feel how you feel. Um, because as a first gen student, getting that acceptance letter from Yale meant that my life was going to change in mm -hmm. ways that I couldn't even like Im like imagine before it happened. So all I knew was that it was a positive thing and that like there was no turning back. Like no one could mm -hmm. take that away from me. No one could take all the work that I put in away from me. Um, and even if, you know, I broke my leg and I couldn't be an athlete anymore, I could still go to Yale. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't the type of thing where it was like my scholarship is contingent upon my ability to play. It wasn't that kind of arrangement. You know, Yale only lets athletes in if they can compete academically. So um, if you are not able to do the sport that you get recruited to do, you still get to be a, a Yale student. 
So for me, it was just a positive thing. And I actually enjoyed hearing what they had to say about it. But mm-hmm. I let it roll off my back because there were, they couldn't take it away from me. And I was like, you know, at least one day I'll be able to buy my daughter a Lexus if she deserves it and let her drive to school in a Lexus. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I will. But it's like, I know that my life is going to change to the point where I would be able to do something like that for my kids. It sounds like investing in yourself and then also your, your, your vision of what your legacy will be is like, or main motivators for you, for you to apply to college. Were there any others? Let's see. Um, the fact that like I came from Louisiana, um, uh, that's a really big one for me. I, I can't let that part of me die because I feel like Louisiana is like, the little that are America's hidden treasure, mm-hmm. you know, like no one really knows much about Louisiana, but everyone has like this nostalgic connection with Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird, but like Drake just made this new song, you know, and the beat, the main beat of the song of um, for nice for what is Louisiana beat. Mm-hmm. And everyone just loves it. Um, and everyone has this connection to it where they, they feel like liberated by the song. And that, that makes me feel really special because I, I get to claim that. I get to say, you know, I'm from Louisiana. That's what we do where I'm from. All of yeah. our music sounds like this. Um, so just being able to represent Louisiana has really been a big motivation for what everything that I did at Yale and everything that I continue to do. Um, it's just such a small place. Uh, and I feel like everyone has like a distant cousin that's from Louisiana. Like everyone has ties somehow to Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely a big motivator for me. Um, also, I'd say my dad, you mm-hmm. know, because my dad, the whole reason that he moved to California was to make a better life for his kids. And he did that, you know, like he maybe he wasn't able to do it himself. Like he wasn't able to fiscally, you know, put money in our pockets. But mm-hmm. he he opened up opportunities for myself and my brother that allowed us to thrive more than we would have if we were in Louisiana. And so I really wanted to make him proud and really thank him for that. Uh, Because I mean, the stuff that I learned and saw and was exposed to (laughs) in Newport Beach, California was just so different and so vast Mm -hmm. um, compared to what you would get where I'm from. So, I mean, there's just no way, like, there's no way to adequately thank him for that. Um, I really appreciated it. But it also opened my eyes to the fact that, like, where you grow up really has a lot to do with what you're exposed to. And that it's just not fair. Like, the public school, it wasn't a private school, you know, it was a public school. But still, these kids got a way better education than most students in the United States. So it definitely like politicized me a lot because I I'm looking at like the access, mm-hmm. the disparities in access um, across the country. And it's just made me very passionate and positive. Uh, I think a lot of times like whenever every time you see, you know, another black man shot <gasps> by a police officer or someone else incarcerated for no reason, it can make you sad. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that with all the knowledge that I've been able to gain, it's helped me be able to remain positive through all of it because I feel like at least I have an outlet. Like I know that there's something that I can do for myself to better my situation 
and my families and um, definitely my, my new boss, my CEO where I work now, she's like the most positive about it because sometimes I do start to feel like, you know, maybe things won't get better, but you know, that's why we have the afterlife. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I don't even know what I really believe in when it comes to the afterlife, but she is very dead set on the idea that we're going to make things better. Mm -hmm. Maybe not this generation, but things will continuously get better. And that really, I feel like that positivity is very helpful, but I think education is the type of thing that helps with uh, uh, fostering that positivity and keeping people going um without it i think we just kind of get stuck and we can't see our way out of this dire situation that we're like locked into mm -hmm. um so speaking of positive positivity how do you stay positive um because i'm not very knowledgeable on the work you do but you know fair housing rights that sounds like it can be kind of daunting and um sometimes maybe even saddening profession so how do you yeah how do you stay positive how did you stay positive just in life in general yeah that's a good question I mean fair housing is definitely it can be depressing I do the testing mm -hmm. and the investigation so I I send people out based on their race and gender nationality religion everything and they do testing and they test real estate um, agents and different management companies to see if they have biases Mm -hmm. And they're um, systematically discriminating against mainly people of color. And whenever I get results from those tests and you can see a clear discrimination pattern, it, it's, it's definitely, I, I do get offended. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I get more offended than I want to, because I'm always like, well, you, you designed this test, you know, you knew what was going to happen, or at least you had an idea of what could happen, but I still get offended because I'm like, dang, like you guys really don't like black people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, it, it, I stay positive knowing that I'm doing this for a reason and I have the tools to do something about it. You know, so the Fair Housing Act actually protects us from this kind of discrimination. Oh, yeah. So by me being able to shine a light on that discrimination, um, it makes me feel good because I'm like, well, we know it exists. We already know it exists. The problem is we don't always know where and how. And I'm able to find the where and the how. And the, the positive thing is I can do something about that. Now we can file, you know, we can file a complaint. We can file a lawsuit. We can stop them in their tracks. Um, uh, and also, like, when it comes to my life, I think it was something I learned in biology at Yale. Mm -hmm. And I was not <laughs> a good science student. But I did take a couple of biology classes because I wanted to just feel like I had a good understanding of at least one field of science. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I learned about was entropy. And I don't even know if I'm saying that right. And I'm not going to try to explain what entropy is. But if you're a bio student, you know what entropy is. And it's something about the way things move. Do you understand what entropy is? Are you able to explain that? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's something about like energy how energy moves and um yeah i i don't know i think i hope if a list uh, if someone who who understands biology is listening you know they can shine some light on this but there were a lot of things that i learned in biology that helped me to understand that like the natural state of the world is that is such that 
we are we are positive and things will end in a positive way and i think i just kind of took that to another level that it doesn't really actually go to but that's what helps me like mm -hmm. spiritually um i just feel like it's like proof that um in the end we're gonna be okay like kendrick lamar says we're gonna be all right it might take you know a, it's gonna take a lot of hurt and pain but we're gonna be all right so also another positive thing in my life right now is my daughter mm -hmm. who's gonna she's turning nine months tomorrow and Aww. yeah and she just totally changed my life for the better you know it's like when I was in college and high school I could not have imagined that I would have a daughter and that she would make me this happy it's like having having kids is always like the your worst nightmare when you're still in school but um now that I have her I'm just so happy it's like just seeing her she like brings so much memories of my childhood back uh really happy things and she also helps me to like slow down and just take things day by day and look at like the really small things and uh that's just so special to me um yeah and that's why I'm always happy for celebrities when they find out that they're having a baby or like because mm -hmm. I feel like no one's having babies these days <laughs> <laughs> So when Cardi B, you know, announced her pregnancy, I was like over the hill, happy for her. Mm -hmm. um, because I think, you know, especially when I was at Yale, I started to get obsessed with success in a way that I wasn't before I got there. And I think, you know, it's it definitely good for young Black students to be competing, you know, academically and professionally with the rest of the world. But we cannot forget about our soul and about the fact that you know, we're, we're going to give birth to the next generation. Thank you for that. That was really heartwarming and inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, so do you have like one bit of advice that you think every person, every college applicant should hear? I guess uh, my main advice for especially first-gen students is um, the whole thing that Yale kind of advertises itself to us as, like saying, oh, you know, don't don't study a field at Yale to find a job, you know, let your field find you. Um, I want to push back on that because <laughs> if you are a first gen student, um, you definitely want to think about your future. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of juxtaposes itself with everything that I was just saying, but you know, don't go to Yale and do what Yale says. Don't do the whole, let your field find you. No, do your best to, uh, find something that fits into your life and fits into what you see yourself doing. Because at the end of the day, a lot of first-gen kids, we don't have that cushion of uh, something to fall back on. You know, we don't have mm -hmm. a savings of $15,000 to pay our rent for three years. Um, we don't, you know, we don't really ha have people giving us advice from home that know, you know, what to do and where to go. We don't have that. So while you're at Yale, definitely do your, or any college, um, do your best to find something that's going to fit your lifestyle of what you see yourself doing in the future. That doesn't mean like go try and be a political analyst or go try and be a finance, finance consultant. It means think about like who you were before you got into Yale and what you actually wanted out of life because that's probably who you're still gonna be after you graduate from Yale.
Mm -hmm. um, or after you graduate from any Ivy League school or high achieving school, um, you're gonna still be that same person. Um, so definitely think about that as you're finding a major and finding a job after you graduate, uh, because you, you might find that you're kind of depressed with your options um, and you feel like you're not, you're not doing what you really ultimately want to do. Because at the end of the day, like these colleges don't change us. They, mm -hmm. they don't have the capacity to change us. Um, so if you realize, you know, after a couple of years at wor of working at that hedge fund, that that's not actually what you want, that's totally fine. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, thank you for that. And up next is the lightning round. Do you have a favorite song right now? Um, yes. Uh, Be Careful by Cardi B. <laughs> okay, I like that song. Her album's really good. Her album's bomb. Um, yeah, I was I was I was surprised. Yeah, I was too. I'm not gonna lie, and I, I I loved her. I was like her number one fan already, but that album really blew me away. Okay, uh, favorite movie? Um, my favorite movie is actually The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> like the like the classic. The classic, The White okay. Girl. I've loved it <laughs> since I was a kid, and I just can't get over it. <laughs> gotcha. Um, favorite book. My favorite book is Life of Pi. Oh. Yeah, I really like it. I've seen the movie. Haven't read the book. Oh, the movie is, oh my God, so beautiful. But the book is really, really good. Um, so do you have a favorite TV show right now? Favorite TV show? A couple. I'm a TV show person. Okay. So um, I'm watching Empire. It's pretty dope. Um, uh, Grownish. I really like Grownish. Mm -hmm. I'm re definitely relating to that. Blackish. Um, power. I can't wait for Power to come back on. Uh, but I also like uh, the uh, the quad. That's, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty good show. I think almost every black show on TV, pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much watching. <laughs> okay, I I haven't seen some of those, but I'll check those out too. Um, and favorite junk food? Ooh, um, I like to go with Oreos. I literally just ate like five Oreos just now. Gotcha, Oreos. Oh, this is also like a random question. You don't have to answer it. Um, did you have any weird, uh, pregnancy cravings? Yeah, when I was pregnant, all I ate was, I ate a watermelon. I mean, I ate a lot of different stuff, but I ate watermelon, like, every single day. My boyfriend would buy a huge watermelon every week, and I would cut it up on Sundays, and I would eat from it, like, all week long. <laughs> okay. I don't know, I just love it. Yeah, I mean, I'd still eat watermelon. Kind of, but when mm -hmm. I was pregnant, it's like, that's what I needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, your body knows what it, what it needs, as long as yes. you listen. Um, well, Carly, thank you again for joining me on, on the, this week's episode. Thank you. This was really awesome. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Of course, of course. Um, and for everyone listening, I'll, I'll put the show notes on my blog and on my social media profiles. Um, so thank you again for listening and we will be back next week.